Well, some of you might have seen this prop last week, but it's back. Okay. And uh, for those who haven't seen it, here's my trap. You got to watch it. See what we can catch. Every year we catch leprechauns at our house with one of those. We're going to look at this passage again this morning in Luke uh, 6. I did want to say one more thank you, and that is to the teens who are here on Wednesday night and helped with, uh, helped with beautifying the building, getting all the Christmas stuff out and the Christmas trees and getting those decorated and getting the building looking really good. It looks great. And uh, thank you for helping. Uh, Kara Carricker is in charge of, of that ministry, and uh, you did a really good job with that. Now, it is, if you're like me, it's hard to be generous as Becky talked about, we have a generous God, but to kind of respond with that type of generosity towards certain people. Certain people, it certain sort of brings it out, and then there are others, not so much. And here comes Thanksgiving, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and so we've, we've got we've to look at our hearts again. Uh, especially it's difficult, and this was the point of last week's message, for those that have uh, offended us in the past, and it's hard to be generous. Someone said, don't worry about getting on my bad side, you're already there, and we, uh, we get that. Another said, uh, I pray for you because I don't know how to do an exorcism, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and sometimes that is our view of others. We are trapped, we find ourselves trapped in the here because we've found offense and somehow uh, here we are in that box, offended by another, we can't seem to get out, and the sometimes we hurt and the infliction hurts and it's stuck with us for a long time. Hard to get past. And as we looked at in Luke, the Gospel of Luke last week from the words of Jesus, he said, essentially says, paraphrased, avoiding every offense is impossible. But I added, but living offended is your choice and my choice. And so we have a chance again to look at that today. Because it's not simple to do, to rise above, I believe, requires faith. It requires a confidence, a trust in God, something beyond ourselves, an active trust, to see the way Jesus saw the world, to see the God behind it all, to choose to live like this God of mercy and grace. And that takes faith. And in this section of Scripture that we've heard now from the message and the NIV for the last couple of weeks, I want to read it again because I think it's that it, it, while the gospel is God's gift to us, this section gets at our posture, our way of looking at life the way we're to look at others. It's our gospel to others. 
and we need to look at it again because it's outrageous. And if we're not careful, we will know these words and be very familiar with them and not even recognize the disconnect between the words of the Lord and our own actions and our own heart that misses something so powerful and yet somehow we are able to say, well, that doesn't apply to me in this case for that person. How can Jesus think this is possible to love our enemies? First, it contradicts human nature. Our brain says, fight or flight. Run away from it or beat them up. And so we might say something like, I'll give to get, I'll love to get love, I'll invest in others with the expectation of a return, I will return hurt for hurt or insult for insult, when I'm offended I'll avoid, but I'll not be hurt or humiliated again. I'll talk to others about another to feel better about my own hurt rather than confronting it. And then there's the problem of boundaries. Just how far does Jesus want us to go? Aren't there situations where this is just not the right response? If you are being bullied, are you supposed to just take it? Is that what he's saying? And maybe because it doesn't make sense in certain areas of our life, we can almost discount the entirety of this passage and saying, maybe for somebody else, but not for me. Let's watch this little guy. His name is Caden as he uh, thinks through his situation at school. you got to watch closely. If someone hits you, you tell the teacher. You don't hit them back. This is our no-bullying policy. So we're clear. If Johnny punches me in the face, Caden gets a black eye, and Johnny gets a rainy day, then that means on Friday... Johnny doesn't get any treasure box. And also on Friday, Caden still has a black eye. Here's my no bullying policy. If little Johnny hits me in the face, little Johnny's going to catch these hands. We're going to have matching black eyes and rainy days. And I'm okay with that. Because Johnny's going to learn to keep his hands to himself. I'm handing out life lessons. If someone hits you... <laughs> I watched that a half dozen times. That was so good. <laughs> oh, he just, he just nailed it in terms of how we're, we feel about all of this. And how do you fit Jesus into that? And let me even be a little more serious for a moment. If you are being smacked around in an abusive situation? 
Should you invite more? Offer the other cheek? I think no. But you've got to think about it a little while and get to the, an understanding of how even in the midst of a situation like that, you can think about the good of the other. I read this little section from saferresource.org. Victims are never called to submit to domestic violence and to forgive their abuser by enduring in silence. The Bible never sanctifies avoidable suffering. Jesus was sacrificially selfless, but he was not a victim. He repeatedly escaped from situations where he would have been physically assaulted by Jewish authorities. Think about that. For those of us who know our Bible, how many times he tried to skirt the situation and actually practice avoidance. The Apostle Paul repeatedly avoided physically abusive situations. The only kind of abuse the Bible recognizes as a redemptive is that which is unavoidable and results from the victim's godly character. 1 Peter chapter 1. Said another way, which retains, I believe, the spirit of our passage, allowing abuse or bullying is not in the best interest of the one in power. The abuser is not made accountable and only becomes further ingrained in sin and sinful patterns. So, before we dismiss Jesus as impractical or impossible or unbelievable, before we go about doing what we have always done, that is for most of us being mostly kind except on those grumpy days or until someone offends me or constantly being on the defensive telling myself, well, I need to be wise, watch out, people are not very trustworthy, so don't trust them. Or for some of you, you might say, I pray at dinner, but I am not going to pray for my brother because he's a jerk. Then I'm asking you to rethink in light of Jesus' teaching. How does Jesus think this teaching is possible? That's what I keep asking myself. And first things first, Jesus has gone through the villages to establish that he is a new king and a different kind of king, a new king in town, his kingdom, the kingdom of God. So, so fair warnings to these instructions, so to speak, don't try this at home or said another way, don't try this if you have not chosen to first follow him as king. And the big teaching here is the kingdom of God. And a subset of this is forgiveness and how we treat others, this second mile living and how difficult that is, that, that while it might border on the ridiculous, is not impossible. 
because Jesus empowers his teaching and we have enormous choice in our life. So I'd like to simply do something uh, just very straightforward with our text this morning. Three questions that I believe Jesus answers. Questions that matter to you and me, that matter to those, all of us, as we're in the trenches in our day-to-day life, particularly as we try to take Jesus' words seriously in this section. And this couldn't be more straightforward. Number one is this. What do I do when someone is out to get me? Now I want you to pause to personalize it. Maybe there's no one at the moment. Maybe there's been a time past. Maybe it's something that's going to be coming up. But I think we've all been there, felt that. And into that context, this word of the Lord is spoken. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. I praised, paraphrased it, love them good. Now, do you have to be a Martin Luther King Jr. or Mother Teresa to do this? Love is the great word here. It is the Greek, the Greek word agape. And this is a word that was rarely used in the ancient world, they used the word eros or as a romantic love or phileia, warm, noble, affectionate, friendship, love. And this word agape was underdeveloped until Jesus comes along. Just sitting around, but in the Greek language, but largely unused in the wider culture. Chuck Swindoll says it this way, he described it like an empty wineskin just waiting around for the wine of the Holy Spirit. And we now apply it to Jesus and to our life as his followers. Agape is this love of Christ, this love modeled in what Berkey shared in the Lord's Supper in John 13 where you see Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It is the love from the cross. It is not about how you feel. In a feeling culture, this is a difficult one. It's not about how you feel toward another, but your words and your actions toward them. And Lord willing, your feelings will follow. And this love consistently seeks the greatest good of another. In other words, back to the Lord's Supper, it is generous. The whole passage, if you had to sum it up, is about the generosity of God that then works its way out as we come into contact with the world. We are generous, like he is generous to us. And so we're asked to give our competition, our irritants, our enemies, this agape love. And thus, we read Eugene Peterson's version of it, let your enemies bring out the best in you. Well, why? So you will be like God. And they will see God. If you get the why, then just possibly the how and the when and the where 
are possible. Number two, what do I do when someone speaks bad about me? Pause for a moment here for us to process who that might be in our own world. The text says, bless those who curse you. I shortened it to just bless them. To bless is to literally to speak well. It is the exact opposite of the curse. To curse means to cause harm, to tear you down. I wish this had no part in the church. Unfortunately, it seems too often to leak into our conversations where we find ourselves criticizing or gossiping or putting others down, sometimes unwittingly because it's just in our, it's just in our mindset, sometimes even while smiling. But the response, again, is faith. Faith allows us to find enough gap between the action or the person and our response to then speak well of another. To resist the temptation to put down or cause others to think ill of another person. In fact, there it is in our text, turn the other cheek. In other words, Turn their insult. Turn their insult into God's victory. You can do it. Don't go talking to others. That is so damaging and it takes so much to repair. And as I've said before, but worth repeating again, if you know someone well enough to speak about them, then I believe Biblically, you know them well enough to speak to them. Number three. What do I do when someone mistreats me? How many of us are felt it in the last day or two days or last week? wondered, why did they do that to me? The Scripture says to pray. Do you know how in each of these it seems as though it takes a little bit of backing away? We've got to back off in order to kind of see the situation. And to see ourself in that situation rather than reacting in the moment. Creating enough distance or space to see I can act in a responsive, responsible, proactive way toward that other person in spite of what's happening because I know who. I am in Jesus. You see, the natural response is to seek justice, to get even when we're injured. 
When we are inflicted with pain, we want to cause pain. And this approach is so common in families and especially with children. Between siblings, the sense of fairness, of justice, of payback, how many childhood squabbles and fights have broken out regarding who gets the bigger piece of cake. And yet, as Gandhi once famously said, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. The Old Testament, again and again, builds this case that it's God. It is God who takes vengeance, not us. And Jesus, as always, goes even further. Not only does God do the avenging, but we are to pray to God for mercy on those who cause us harm. It's by praying for our enemies we protect our own heart from becoming like those that we despise in that moment. All of that, all of this really is just practicing the golden rule. I don't know how I could be, any of this could even be more straightforward in one sense and yet more convicting in another. So what I want to recommend this morning as you think through those three simple questions with three responses from Jesus and then put in my own words is to make this shift to pause and create some space. You see, our old way of thinking is this. The world is cruel, self-serving, and stingy, and hurtful. So we take these circumstances and we conclude that we should live this way too. And that old self does not rise above our self-interest or our self-protection. We're caught in the trap. The new way, it gives without expecting any return. It's rooted in an understanding that God is exceedingly generous. The good things come from God. That God is a gracious provider. That God has given you all things. And so we are simply a dispenser of what has been given. As I finished last week, there was one simple question. I want to put that question up and I want to allow us for just a minute or two of silent reflection this morning. And then Jeremy's going to come up, lead us in uh, love one another. The greatest command. And we'll be finished this morning. But I want to put this question up. Will you choose... And again, you might review your own willingness to love when you've been mistreated or when someone's out to get you. You might review your own 
willingness to bless those who curse you and to pray for someone who is mistreating you. But it boils down to this. Will you choose to live your identity as a child of the Most High God? And the more you know your true identity, that is Jesus' view of the world, the easier it'll be when the offense comes. And I don't mean that it'll be easy, but it'll be easier. Or conversely, you can take the bait, stay trapped in your offenses. But I think the better way is to recognize again God's exuberant generosity. That's what Jesus saw. That's the way he lived. I pray you will too. Take a moment or two for some silent prayer.